Welcome to the NC4 Podcast. We exist to know Christ and make Him known. Discover the power of a connected life by listening to this message from God's Word. Our reading this morning is John chapter 5. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there in Jerusalem, there is a sheep gate, Uh, By the Sheep Gate, a pool. In Aramaic, it's called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who'd been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he'd already been there a long time, he said, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water stirred up. And while I'm going down, another one goes before me. Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was a Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who'd been healed, it's the Sabbath. It's not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who's the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who'd been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, and there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my, work, my father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, not because only he was breaking the Sabbath, but because he was calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, That the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing, and greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, So he has granted the son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. 
There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may believe. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who has sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you've never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it's they that they bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and yet you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Here ends the reading of the word of God. So, this morning is the third message in our series, That You May Believe, and we are studying the Gospel of John by looking at the signs and I am statements of Jesus. And in the first sign, we primarily saw who Jesus is in the turning of the water into wine. In the second sign last week, we primarily saw what it looks like to believe in him for salvation in the healing of the nobleman's son. And today we're looking at the third sign, and we're going to see that this is primarily about the reward of believing in him, which is eternal life. And so the title of today's message is The Eternal Kind of Life. And we're going to see three things that form the acronym VIM, V-I-M, as in vim and vigor, all right? So number one, the vision of eternal life. Secondly, the intention of eternal life. And thirdly, the means of eternal life. All right, so let's get into the first one, the vision of eternal life. Okay, so we're in John 5, and uh, at this point, we find Jesus back in Judea. He's traveled um, from uh, Judea uh, to Samaria to Galilee. Now he's back in Judea at the feast. And one of the things you should know about John is that Judea is the place where Jesus always gets in trouble. All right? This is where all the action happens. And he's walking through the pool of Bethesda, which we know uh, is next to the temple complex in Jerusalem. And he sees a man who's been laying there for 38 years. And Jesus approaches him with a question. And it's interesting to me that this is the first of Jesus' signs where Jesus is the one taking initiative. In case you thought Jesus only acts when someone begs him. No, here's, Jesus is taking initiative, and I think there is a uh, profound point to that, as we're going to see, because this, this whole story, I think, is about eternal life. So, 
he asks the man this question. He says, do you want to be well? And the King James put it like this. Wilt thou be made whole? And that word well uh, or whole or healed, uh, it has all of those meanings. And um, what I particularly love about this sign is that uh, we don't have to guess about all the meaning because Jesus actually gives us this extended exposition after he does it in response to uh, the Judeans. It, it, our version here today said the Jews, but really it's not an emphasis on the, the Jewishness, but the location. They are the Judeans. He's just been in Galilee with the Galileans. Now he's in Judea with the Judeans, all right? And so um, he asked this question, do you want to be made whole? Do you want to be made whole? well. And I think it begs the question, what exactly does fully well, fully whole and healed humanity actually look like? And as he said, Jesus kind of gives us his, his full exposition of that answer. So let's think about this for a second. What does it mean to be fully whole, fully well? Now, I don't know if you've ever noticed uh, that it's it's easy. We have a lot of people in healthcare uh, in, as part of our uh, church body, and you would know m better than the rest of us. It's, it's very easy to recognize and define sickness. It's very easy to define what being unwell is, but it's actually a little more difficult to give a real definition of wellness, of actual health. So the World Health Organization uh, defines health like this. It says, a state of complete physical, mental, and social well-being, and not merely the absence of disease or infirmity. All right, so um, I think that's a good starting point because a lot of times we, we think of health as just, well, there's nothing wrong with me, right? I don't, I'm not experiencing any diseases or pain. Um, but... We need to go a lot further than that. If you read that definition closely, it's basically saying, well, this, this is what health isn't. It's not this. And, and the, the only positive definition of it, that it gives is that wellness is wellness, right? It's just, it tells you where the wellness is, but it doesn't really define what the wellness is in itself. Now, I think as we go on to read in this passage, that Jesus is not just speaking to this man, he's actually speaking to humanity. And so you might say, you might, you might rephrase that, that verse as saying, when Jesus saw humanity lying there, and knowing that they had been there a long time, he said, do you want to be made well? Jesus takes the initiative, comes to humanity and says, do you really want to be made whole? And Jesus' idea of true wellness, of true health of body, soul, and spirit and society is what he calls eternal life. And it's one of the two major themes of this book. We've got faith. John tells us, I've written these things so that you may believe and so that you may have life in his name. And so he's got these two major themes of faith and eternal life. We met faith last week. Today we meet eternal life. All right, so we're familiar with this phrase. Have you ever stopped to think about what eternal life actually is or what's so great about it? And you say, well, Ian, that's easy. <laughs> 
John 3.16, right? We know what eternal life is. It says to not perish, right? And I think a lot of times we do think of eternal life as simply uh, living forever, not dying, right? And that's something that the whole world has always been interested in. And I... Um, made me think of a, there was a 2017 article in the New Yorker, and it was called Silicon Valley's Quest to Live Forever. All right, and what it talked about um, was how Silicon Valley billionaires currently, uh, they're frustrated because they're so, they have wealth and success on a level that humanity's basically never seen, but it's frustrating because they only have one lifespan to actually enjoy it. All right? And so they believe that if we can hack the human genome properly, we can not only get rid of disease, but we can actually reverse entropy and slow the process of aging entirely. And um, I mean, that might sound crazy and far-fetched, but there are real scientists, a whole industry of them working on this stuff as we speak, billions of dollars being spent on it. And I don't say that as an alarmist, I think this is a very natural desire. And what the scientists say is that, this blew my mind, physics really gives us no reason why human life should have to come to an end. That's what they say. And so it's been pointed out, if we could just slow the process of aging to the speed that you age when you're in your 20s, if we could do that, we could reasonably expect humans to live for a thousand years. Which is interesting when you read the book of Genesis. Um, and why not? Other animals live hundreds of years. There's a kind of shark that lives 500 years. All right, and you, you know, there's turtles that live hundreds of years. And so um, why not? Why not humans too? If we could just discover, if we could, if we could um, figure out the processes that lead to our bodies, you know, falling apart, then we could reverse that. We could slow it down. Now, some people even take it further and they talk about not just living a thousand years, but actually never dying uh, by transferring consciousness from one body to another and all that. And, you know, it sounds crazy. This is real stuff. And so <laughs> is this what Jesus is talking about when he talks about eternal life? Now, you probably know what my answer is going to be, but... <laughs> is he just talking about life carrying on as we know it just forever? Just living to your foreverth birthday, you know? Well, the Greeks had a myth about such a thing and they warned about it. There's a myth called the, the myth of uh, Tithonus or Tithonus um, and his lover Eos begs Zeus to grant Tithonus eternal life. And Zeus complies. But she forgets to ask Zeus for eternal youth. And so Tithonus lives forever, becoming increasingly decrepit, senile, and miserable. He actually turns into a cicada, constantly crying out. And so, <laughs> so there's a warning. We, we, we know that, that eternal life is no good in itself without eternal youth. And, you know, actually... <laughs> When I was thinking about it, if you think about eternal life simply as this life extending on forever, don't you think that would get really boring? I mean, you know, there's only so many Seinfeld reruns you can watch, <laughs> right? 
And so, and, and depending on your level of life experience, you know, eternal life in that sense might sound more like a threat than a blessing. And so, <laughs> and so here's the point. Okay, eternal life is not just about quantity, but about quality. It's not about quantity, but about quality. It's not just living forever. And we know that from what Jesus tells us in this passage, because Jesus tells us everybody resurrects. Everybody actually lives forever, but some are resurrected to judgment and others are erected to what he calls life. And so it's not a different length of life, but a different kind of life. And Jesus said in John 10, 10, that we'll get to eventually, I have come to give you life and life to the full. That's, that's what we named our daughter, Zoa Parisa, life in abundance, life to the full. And so what is this full life that he's talking about? What is our deepest need and longing that Jesus says his coming has come to give us? Well, I think it's hard to put in the words, but the Beach Boys did their best. <laughs> and you heard it if you're here in person or in Mukunji, you heard it in the break time um, there are these moments through life where we experience love and beauty and truth and goodness, and they give us a glimpse of what we wish life would eternally be like. And so they sing, wouldn't it be nice? I wish, that, here's some of the lyrics, I wish that every kiss was never ending. Oh, wouldn't it be nice? Maybe if we think and wish and hope and pray, it might come true. You know that it seems the more we talk about it, it only makes it worse to live without it but let's talk about it. Oh, wouldn't it be nice? In their inimitable harmonies. So we have these longings. I think every human being has these longings. And yet they sing, wouldn't it be nice? And the end of the song says, good night, uh, sleep tight, baby, right? And it, we have these longings, but we know that all of these good things eventually come to an end. Eventually, we have to say good night. So what is this kind of life that Jesus is offering? Well, he actually defines it. This is one of the, the, the pivotal moments in my own faith journey, is that Jesus defines the meaning of life. John 17, 3, he says, this is eternal life. To know the one true God and Jesus Christ whom he sent. And so we saw last week that Life is in Jesus. And so the eternal kind of life is to know God and Jesus whom he sent. Why? Because he is life. He is the source of life. And I've said it before. I don't know if you've heard me, but I'll say it again, that God is the only good thing that never comes to an end. The eternal kind of life is the kind of life that Jesus has the most truly unending, unfathomable kind of life that there is because it means sharing in the very life of God. And so the question is, what if you could have that life? Wouldn't it be nice? <laughs> well, that is the life that he's offering to humanity. Don't you desire it? I think every person desires it. And in honor of Black History Month, let me quote the African church father and theologian, St. Augustine. He says, you have made us for yourself, O Lord. 
and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. In the book, The Renovation of the Heart, Dallas Willard, uh, he points out that this is the first thing that has to be present in any process of transformation. You have to have a vision of something that you find desirable. This is the V in our VIM acronym, vision. So the world looked at this man. He'd been laying there for 38 years, and, they, and it was quite easy to look at him and say, well, that's not wellness. That's not life to the full, right? And so the man himself had a vision of what he no doubt wanted, and his vision was, I want to be able to walk like everybody else. And so that was his vision of wellness, And yet Jesus points him beyond that and he faces him with this decision. And it's the the same decision that faces humanity. What kind of life will you pursue? What kind of life will you orient yourself towards? And so it brings us to our second point here, which is the intention of eternal life. So Dallas Willard, he goes on to say that um, whenever there is a transformation Um, there's three things in place. There's a vision, intention, and the means. Uh, And so there's not only a desire for some sort of change, but whenever there's actually a transformation, it goes beyond desire, and there's actually an intent to pursue it. All right? So if you have a desire, you think, oh, wouldn't it be nice to speak French? All right? You could sing about it all day long, but unless you actually make the decision to learn French— it will just be a dream. Nothing will actually happen. You won't gain that transformation, right? And so if you don't make the decision, you can be sure it won't happen. So you can't only desire it, you have to intend to do it. And so now in the passage, the focus goes on this man's response. How is he going to respond to this question? And there's an interesting contrast to what we saw in the second sign. Um, So, uh, in the, uh, the second sign with the nobleman, the, the portrayal of the nobleman was very positive, right? He responds in faith. He gives us a picture of what faith looks like. But here, the man is painted pretty negatively, if you think about it. So when Jesus asks him the question, I don't know if you pick up a little attitude in his response. He's like, well, of course I want to get healed, Jesus. If somebody, no one's here to help me. Nobody cares about me. All right? So then Jesus shows him mercy, he heals him, he tells him to pick up his mat, he walks, um, but he doesn't even learn Jesus' name. He doesn't even bother to learn his name. Can you imagine that? And then when he's questioned about it, he, he shifts the blame. He says, no, 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 he told me to do it, right? And then when Jesus finds, and, and by the way, Jesus finds him in the temple, so he doesn't go look for Jesus. Jesus finds him in the temple, and then what does he do? He goes and reports him, right? To save his own skin. And so, you know, why such a negative portrayal? Clearly, we get to see what his vision and intention were. His vision had been met. He wanted to walk again. And then once he could, his intention was to pursue the kind of life that would be safe, that he wouldn't get into any more trouble, all right? Now, Jesus, when he finds him, he, he, he kind of, he subtly challenges this, this vision, and he says, look, you got 
your wellness. You got what you wanted. How's that working out for you? Stop sinning so that nothing worse may happen to you, which is an interesting thing to say to him. Now, don't read that as Jesus saying that all the misfortunes of life are the result of a particular sin that you've committed. We know that that's not true because there's another story about the man born blind. Okay? So we know that not every misfortune that you'll face in life is the result of a particular sin, but some are. <laughs> Sometimes we get, into ourse get ourselves into a pit because of bad choices. And so Jesus is effectively saying to this man, okay, your body's healthy now. What about your soul? What about your spirit? And in fact, there is a kind of life that you can miss out on even if your body is perfectly healthy. You could be the greatest, you know, fittest person that ever walked the planet, and yet, even so, there is a kind of life that you still can miss out on. And that's much worse than missing out on physical health. And so the man receives his physical healing, but there's no indication that he went on to follow Jesus. And so, he claimed a physical healing. He didn't claim his spiritual healing. He didn't claim his inner healing. Now, the thing is, I don't want to judge him too harshly because I think this begs a question for us. What is the vision of life that we have set our hope on? Despite what we may profess, what vision of life have we actually set our intention to pursue? We might desire to be like Jesus. We think, oh, wouldn't it be nice if, if we could be like Jesus? But have we ever actually decided to become like him? He says that we can. And you know what it, it, it makes me think of? There's, there's a lot of people um, in this country that claim to be born again. And the surveys differ a little bit, but it's somewhere around 50% of Americans claim I am a born-again Christian. Which is amazing when you begin to look at the fact that statistically, there's really no difference between those who claim being born again and those who don't. So, does, does, does eternal life really not transform a person at all? Or is it possible to believe that you're born again and not be? And I think a big part of the problem is the way that the gospel has often been communicated. It, it, it causes us to read John 3.16 like this. It said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but go to heaven. That's not what it says, right? Should not perish but have eternal life. But when we, when we read it as go to heaven, what happens is we do something in this life to make sure we're safe from judgment in the next life. It detaches the good news from anything relevant to your actual life right now. And when the reward is completely detached from now, we shouldn't be surprised that many professing Christians live lives that actually bear no mark of transformation. So I want to tell you, the good news that Jesus brings is far better than fire insurance. 
It's not something you sign on the dotted line just, you know, in case or when the terrible thing happens, but it's not something we just get to enjoy after we die. Because in verse 24 of the passage, Jesus says, he says this, truly, truly, of all the things that are true, this is really true. I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. So this is, this is he's speaking in the present. Did you catch that? And so the next point here is that Jesus offers the eternal kind of life now. Jesus offers the eternal kind of life now. The man uh, that got healed, he thought that he'd received the life that he wanted. He could walk again. And the tragedy is, of course, that all the while, life is standing before him, and he refuses to take hold of it. If only he would desire and walk with Jesus, he would have eternal life. The promise of Jesus is not just that when we die, life carries on, but that he will give us an eternal kind of life that begins right now. And it carries on after we die. It's a kind of life that is imperishable, it says in 1 Peter. It's a kind of life that death can't extinguish. And so, if you have the vision, if you intend to follow it, well, then the next step is to find the means of actually pursuing it. So we come to our third letter in the VIM acronym, which is the means of eternal life. So to go back to that example of learning a language, which is a transformation of a kind, uh, it's, it's no use just to desire to learn French. You have to make the decision. And once you've made the decision, the natural thing to do is to find out, okay, how do I do it? What are the means that will actually get this French inside me? All right? I'm going to have to read certain books. I'm going to have to go to certain classes. I might have to get a tutor. I might have to travel to France and be immersed. And those are the means to acquiring the language. All right? So once you've made the decision, you naturally find the way of getting there. So what are the means of attaining eternal life? Well, here's where we get into the controversy. Right? Because up until this point, Jesus has been pretty much in everyone's good books. Right? John's a big fan. Uh, one of the Pharisees is a fan. He's got a few students enrolled on his training program. You know, he's, he's doing all right. But chapter 5 is where it all starts to hit the fan. And you see this real opposition rising up against Jesus. And the reason that he gets into trouble is because he heals a man on the Sabbath. 20% of Jesus' miracles happen on the Sabbath. So he likes provoking in this way for some reason. And not only does Jesus heal him, he then tells the man to carry his mat on the Sabbath. And that's what got the Judeans angry. Right? And um, it, it's implied, we don't know, but it's implied that these are the Pharisees that he's conversing with. And so <laughs> I put myself in Jesus' shoes, and I'm like, no wonder these guys drove him crazy right? He heals a guy, and the only thing that they think to ask is, wait, 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 who told you to pick up your mat? Right? 
I mean, doesn't it like that fastidious, you know, like, I, I can't stand that. <laughs> they should have asked, wow, who healed you? Right? All they could see was, this guy's breaking our rules. And, and they, of course, you know, why was this such a big deal? Because God commanded the fourth commandment uh, that the Sabbath is to be kept holy. You shall not work. Right? It's actually the longest of the Ten Commandments. And so the Pharisees were very justly concerned with this, but Jesus never actually broke the Sabbath. All he did was break the traditions that had been built up around the Sabbath. The law never says that it's, that it's, it's work to carry your mat unless your job happens to be carrying mats. Okay? So... <laughs> Why did those traditions exist? Well, to be charitable, I think it was because they really were concerned about obeying God, and so they had extra rules to make sure that we obey God. But the effect of that was that <laughs> they turned it into a means of attaining eternal life. It became a means of attaining eternal life. And so really what I think is at stake here in this controversy is that there's an argument about how do we attain eternal life? All right? The traditions of the elders were just like every religious tradition in the world, which say that if you want to inherit eternal life, if you want to attain eternal life, you have to get the right knowledge. You have to think a certain way. Or others say you have to have the right experience. You need to have the right, you know, mystical connection with God. Or others say you have to follow these principles, follow these pillars or these laws, this eightfold path. And if one day you do it properly, God will be pleased with you and he will grant you life in paradise eternally. And so either fix your thinking, fix your feeling, or fix your doing and one day you will be worthy of eternal life. This is the message of every religious system in the world. Speaking very generally, of course. And so what you see is in every religious system, what was ultimately important was the message. All right, Moses brought the law, Muhammad brought the Quran, uh, Buddha brought the eightfold path to enlightenment. And so what's really important in all those systems is the message. You could switch out the messenger and the message remains the same, right? God could have used Aaron and not Moses. The law would have been the same. And so in every religious system, what's important is the message and following the message, but not so with Jesus. Jesus is the only one where if you remove him from the picture, the whole message falls apart. Jesus is the only one who's ever said eternal life is not in thinking right or feeling right or acting right, but eternal life is in me. I am the life. And I'm not going to preempt that because that'll be another sermon. But Jesus doesn't bring good news. He is good news. And so I've probably used this joke before, but if you take Christ out of Christian, all you're left with is Ian. <laughs> and Ian can't save you. <laughs> So the point is this, eternal life is received only by trusting Jesus. And I love that he lays this out for us in this extended response that he gives. And Jesus effectively says, there's, there's so much that we could go into here, but, but to summarize, Jesus effectively says, God is the only one who has life in himself. And Jesus is one with the Father as the eternal Son, 
And so he has the power to grant life through relationship to him. And so the only means of getting eternal life is by getting Jesus. Why? Because they're one and the same thing. You can't have one without the other. The reward of salvation is eternal life, which is Jesus. He is the reward. That's why I love that the, you know, the Bible talks about salvation as, as, um, as marriage because the church is the bride of Christ and at the end of time, it's the marriage supper of the lamb. And so what is heaven like within that metaphor? It's the honeymoon. And what is the reward of the honeymoon? Well, it's to be united with your beloved, right? That is eternal life just as being united with the beloved is the lover's fullness of life. And so... If you're hearing these words, we're talking about a life. I, I, we're facing, a lot of us are facing horrendous things, situations in our families. Uh, we might be worried about things that are going on globally or in the nation. It doesn't matter what you're facing. If you have Jesus, you have a kind of life that absolutely nothing can penetrate, can take. It's an eternal kind of life. And I, this, this came up to me the other day when um. I don't know how this came up at the dinner table, but it came up that one day our dog, Aston, would pass away. And it made our daughter, Nia, very, very upset. It makes me upset. It made her very, very upset. And she realized, I think for the first time in her little life, the reality of our mortality. And it was so, it was, it was one of those holy moments where I was able to look her in the eye and say, because she, she began to ask, well, what about us? What about everyone else, right? And I said, if Jesus is with us, we will live together forever. Jesus has promised to resurrect us. And if you love dogs, there's plenty of animals uh, in the visions of heaven. So, you know, C.S. Lewis thought so anyway. So, <laughs> As the passage goes on, Jesus goes on to tell us, so th this is eternal life. It's in him. He offers it to us. But what is it that keeps us from it? And Jesus goes on to diagnose, what is it that keeps humanity from eternal life? And he gives us two reasons. In verse 39, he says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it's they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have eternal life. And in verse 43, he says, I have come in my father's name and you do not receive me. And so there's two reasons. Number one, we refuse to go to him. And number two, when he comes to us, we reject him. Why? Well, then the root, he also talks about why. The root is because we worship the wrong things. Verse 44 says, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? In other words, how can you say that you believe God is the ultimate thing when your entire life is oriented towards getting something else? And this is the basic problem of humanity. This is the reason that we were locked out of the garden, why we were barred from the tree of life, is that in Romans uh, 1, 23 and 25 summarizes it like this. 
humanity exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. And so at the bottom of why humanity, first of all, doesn't seek Jesus, and second of all, when Jesus comes and offers himself to us, when God reveals himself to us, we reject him, is that we want other things. We want other things more. And I think at heart, it's because we think if we get those things, we will have the kind of full, abundant, eternal life that we know we're created for. And so, I've often said, it's not that you, 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 you need to kind of desire Jesus more and you, you need to work up this, this hunger for Jesus more. It's, you are absolutely starving for him. You may just not know it. Because he is the thing that ultimately we've been seeking for in all the wrong places. And so... Jesus is standing before humanity and he's asking us, do you want to be whole? Do you want to be well? Do you want the kind of life that does not deteriorate, that does not age, that not only lasts forever, but is always new? And he says, I am that life. Put your hope in me and not only will you have eternal life someday when you learn to think, feel, and act correctly, but come to me and I will give you that eternal life right now. And you will be pleasing to me. You'll be born again as part of my family. You'll be my bride. You'll be a, 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 a tree growing up into eternal life. And I'll give that to you right now. And your joy is that you get to spend the rest of eternity learning how to live it out to the fullest. And that's what happens when you disciple yourself to Jesus. And so the last point here is that eternal life is not so much about getting into heaven, but it's about getting heaven into you. I'll say that one more time. Eternal life is not so much about you getting into heaven as it is getting heaven into you. Jesus invites us to be his disciples so that he can give us his life and then teach us how to live it out. And so what an opportunity is missed if we're so focused on, on trying to get into heaven by our own means as the Pharisees were, that we miss Jesus' offer of putting heaven into us right now. And so I think this morning that there's, there's two responses to this. There may be some of us here or uh, in Mukunji or uh, listening online where you have, when you're honest, you realize you haven't gone out looking for Jesus. And if you're also honest, you've not really wanted him to come to you. But as you've been hearing this, you realize maybe he's giving me a different kind of life. If there's something in your heart that's stirring that you say, I want to have that eternal life that Jesus talks about, well, you can enter into that right now. Like I said, this isn't about something uh, uh, in the future. This is uh, today is the day of salvation. And so if that's you, 
you can enter into that by talking to Jesus through prayer and say, Jesus, I'm so sorry for living my life apart from you, from rejecting you, for, for sinning. <laughs> Thank you that you came to me. You died for my sins. And because you resurrected, I can have a completely eternal kind of life. And if that's you, you can pray some of those words uh, and, and, and ask the Holy Spirit to come and make you a new person. Jesus, I want to follow you and become your student. I commit myself to you for the rest of my life. And so if you pray that, if you've just prayed that or you, you pray that later, uh, talk to me. Talk to one of the other leaders in the church because this is, this is a family that you, you, you join when you follow Jesus and that we're, we're made to live life as a family walking this out. And I also think there's a second response to this. And so I want, I'd like the musicians to come back up and um, just been sensing that the Lord wants us maybe to respond to this this morning. Because many of us have accepted Jesus' gift of eternal life. And yet we're yearning for more transformation. We're yearning for that eternal life to be more fully experienced right now. Jesus tells us there, there is a, there, there's a here aspect and there is a not yet aspect. We're not fully there, but we can be growing every single day in, in that eternal kind of life that he's offered us as we disciple ourselves to him and he, he grows his life within us from the inside out. And so if that's you, I, I, um, we have um, a prayer team, we have pastors and elders here um, that I'd like to invite you as we, as we sing this last song, I'd like to invite you to come and receive prayer um, for that eternal life to manifest itself all the greater in your life. All right, so I'll, play, I'll pray and close this. And as the, as the team comes up and also in Mukunji, uh, if you're uh, 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 part of the prayer team or your pastor or, or an elder or a trusted leader, um, please just, just give opportunity for people to come up front to receive prayer uh, for this. And um, I'm going to pray and close uh, the message and open up the front for anyone who'd like to um, approach the Lord for more eternity in your life right now. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that even though we didn't go out looking for you, you came out looking for us. Lord, and just like this man, you've offered us not only healing for our bodies, but healing for our souls and spirits. And Lord Jesus, we today want to take hold of that eternal life that you offer us right now. May we not only go away healed in our, uh, our physical or our social sense, but that we, we'd, we would be healed by your eternal life working within us. And so, Jesus, we grab hold of that again today. Lord, we ask you to forgive us for any ways that we've fixated on other things that have somehow become more important than you, even if it's scripture or holy things or, or working for you, but we're missing you. So, Lord, we repent of that. We ask you right now that you would fill us once again 
with that water that's alive, that eternal life that flows out from you and flows into all of those that are uh, your children that belong to you. So we love you, Lord. We're grateful. And we ask you right now to meet us and to fill us once again with your eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the NC4 podcast. For more info, visit our website at nc4.org. We believe in the power of a connected life. If you prayed to give your life to Jesus today, we'd love to help you walk it out together. Just text the word Jesus to 610-816-6062.